So the work environment itself is really multifaceted because we have to go to work to make money. And that means we already lose some of our power because we can't just walk out any day. We got mouths to feed. (laughs) We got people to take care of. We have to put a roof over our head and clothes on our back, which in the public health world, we know those basics is what we need to survive and are vital for our public, for our health outcomes. Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a great guest in the building today, really talking about something we I've talked about already, but from a perspective that I wasn't even thinking about, which is almost like, duh, why, why are we not thinking about this with, uh, when it regards to employee well-being? I have Chris Marai uh, on the podcast today. Chris, thank you so much for being on with me today. I really appreciate it. Corey, thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited to come on Healthy Project. I am now a big fan. I've listened to a few episodes and having a podcast that's specific to public health is is really, really cool. Yeah. I, I first first of all, I appreciate that. And this is it's it's a passion. It's it's something that, you know, needs to be talked about from from all from all aspects. Um before we get going into the conversation today, Chris, how about you tell the people a little bit about yourself and what gets you up in the morning? Sure. Um, So my background is in global public health. And really what gets me up in the morning is helping organizations to create uh, systems of change within their institutions so people can live healthier, more whole, more equitable lives while they're at work. I've spent a lot of my career doing global public health work in a lot of different industries. So tech and healthcare, legal, nonprofit. And I think what is really cool about the right now is the pandemic helped us think a little bit more about what workplace well-being is and how our environments in the workplace and beyond it kind of shape our interactions with each other and also the way that we take care of ourselves. And I think for me, if I can help people feel healthier, safer, more financially stable at work, then they can be better versions of themselves for their families and for their greater communities. And I think that a lot of the research shows that people are more productive they're, if they're healthier, if they feel more engaged at work, and if they feel like they belong to their workplace. So that kind of gets me up in the morning every day is like, people are at work all the time. That's literally where people spend most of the most of their adult lives. And that should be where we're putting a lot of our effort into making it healthier. Yeah. You know, when, when I think about that in, in the term of, of corporate wellness, right? Corporate wellness, health and well-being. I don't, be, I don't feel like it's ever really coming from a place of, from a public health perspective is mostly, uh, which, 
which I love as a health coach. You, you, you have a health coach and you talk about your blood pressure or this, that, and the third um, to improve productivity with your employees. But with a public health perspective, we, we know that it's not just what they do at work that gets them productive. No one just walks into the office and they're just ready to work. They have a life. Outside of that, even though they're at work a lot, even though we're at work a lot, we still do have a life outside of that. And we still do have issues when it comes to social determ our own social determinants that predict how healthy we are. So, you know, what is what is that relationship between those social determinants of health and employee well-being? Well, that's a really great question. I mean, you talk about all the time this, the basic social determinants of health, right? Our socioeconomic status, the neighborhoods we grow up in, the physical environments, access to healthcare, and the conditions that we work in, and discrimination that we may or may not face. And I think the workplace in particular is a microcosm of the greater world. And it's also where we get access to healthcare for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where we are interacting with people from different privileged statuses um, and different backgrounds and have different, you know, outcomes for prestige. And I think what the research I've seen shows is that higher occupational status and also prestige allows for better health outcomes over time. So the person that walks into the door already is having a different health outcome than someone who is uh, more white collar versus blue collar. And I hate those terms, but like that's what they're still using, you know? Um, And I think especially when we're talking about things like stress, stress is compounded by the lives that we live outside of work. Um, And then it's expressed and internalized in the workplace um, with the different kinds of like physical exertions that we have, mental exertions that we may experience in the workplace. So the work environment itself is really multifaceted because we have to go to work to make money. And that means we already lose some of our power because we can't just walk out any day. We got mouths right. to feed. <laughs> we got people to take care of. We have to put yeah. a roof over our head and clothes on our back, which in the public health world, we know those basics is what we need to survive and are vital for our public, for our, for our, for our health outcomes. Um, not just on the individual level, but on the community level. I like to always bring it back to think about my own personal experience with my mom as an immigrant, um, me as a first generation person and like her working, you know, 40 minutes away from where she, where her kids went to school, where um, we lived and how much effort and work it took just to get her to work, right? Whether it was public transportation or when she eventually got her own vehicle, mm-hmm. all that effort to actually get into the building to make those funds affected everything around us and who was able to take care of us, the things that we were able to do every single day. So the workplace, although we think about about it as just the relationship between the individual and the employer, is actually way bigger than that because it involves the person's families. It involves the people who help with the caretaking process of those families. Um, it's affected by immigrant status, um, sex and gender. So many different things factors in. And so I think about these questions about like, if it takes 40 minutes for someone to get to work, who then is able to provide nutritious meals for them, for, for the family? 
Um, are they emotionally active and present for their students, for their families when they get home? Uh, are they able to uh, actually make time to go to the doctor for themselves or for mm-hmm. their their kids if they're you know not able to take time off from work if the work isn't flexible enough for them to be able to um, go to appointments? All those different things affects the way that they're able to take care of their health. So there's an aspect of privilege of power. There's an aspect of having to be able to navigate social networks in the building and beyond it. All those things impact health. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, just thinking of myself, like there are times and I and I feel like I am a pretty positive person, but the most positive of people wake up on the wrong side of the bed sometimes. And now you got to take all that negative energy and just hold it in and try to get through a day where you want your you want to give your best but your your best is just in the, isn't there and you you said something about community and I, and I know you've talked a lot about how community has played a role in in your life with with your mother being a single mother it makes me think about that work community in, in a sense mm-hmm. where what is what role does the employer play in making sure that each employee, which I understand is super hard because like you pointed out, every everybody's at a different piece of of this whole spectrum where you have some people maybe are fighting food insecurities. Now they're coming to work hungry. Some may be dealing with other issues and the employer has to try to manage all of that. And there are there are ways there are ways I feel like maybe we can do it. We can we can get to that you know, um, later on. But my, my question is outside of providing healthcare, which a lot of employers do to kind of help with that, what can the, the company from a public health perspective, what can they do to provide a healthier work environment for every individual employee? Well, I think before we get there, we take a quick step back. And I think the pandemic has sort of shown us that everything that happens in our lives affects the way that we interact with one another. Mm -hmm. Thinking Mm -hmm. back to, especially with some of the work that you do, uh, there was a study in 2020 about um, Black healthcare workers, no, just Black folks in general versus white individuals who um, had experienced COVID-19 and more of the severe aspects of COVID-19. And the hypothesis was that uh, Black families had more COVID morbidities um, and, and, and chronic illness that would cause them to have a harder time with COVID-19. But actually, when they, when they went into the, to do the study, what they found was actually it wasn't about the comorbidities, sorry, it wasn't about the comorbidities that people were experiencing. It was more about who they were seeing every single day in their home and how many people actually had to leave the home in order to uh, go to work. Mm. So if they were able to stay at home, which more white family, more white collar folks were able to stay home during that time, they were less likely to encounter um, COVID-19 than if they, you know, were out working at a construction site or, if they had to go to a healthcare 
facility and work there or a residential facility. And so more Black families, I think it was two times the uh, Black families had one or more persons that worked in healthcare, And that was actually leading to higher deaths in the families because mm. there were just more interactions, more um, access to uh, COVID-19 at that time. So I say all of that to say that uh, the historical context is always very important. With redlining, people in redline zones had to travel farther for work Mm. and to do more dangerous types of work, which means that the stress that they're experiencing is different, not more or less. Right. And, And I think going back to your question about what can employers do, it's first to acknowledge that the stress that we all experience is real that it happens, it compounds in the workplace, but it's different for all of us depending on the kind of work that we do. And it has to be flexible. It has to be different. So the kind of workplace um, strategies that we put in place has to be incumbent of all the different people of the organization, not just representative of uh, the managers or just representative of one type of group of people within the organization. It's hard to say without thinking of like one specific industry, right? But um, that it's all different and that you have to have different folks at the table in order to, to find out what it is that they need and actually ask them how they are experiencing well-being in the workplace and what are the barriers that they're experiencing both in and outside that are affecting them at work. Right. And you brought up, you said, you said something, uh, having different people at the table, um, thinking of, you know, I work in, I work in healthcare and I'm sure you've worked with many different industries with the work that you do. Um, are there certain people that need to be at the table to be making these decisions around the health and well-being of, of employees? Who, who are those that need to be there outside of obviously the managers, but like who should be at this table? representatives from every represented group should be at the table, Mm -hmm. right? So if there's a facilities person, uh, they should be a representative at the table. And it can't just be the manager of the facilities folk. It has to be someone that is, you know, at a lesser power stage so that they're able to feel comfortable enough to talk about what is happening in their work. It has to be managers. It has to be people who work in the cafes, anyone that is a part of the stakeholders in the institution, there should be a representative for them. And it should change so that there are different voices at the table at different times, especially when you're starting to build a workplace well-being strategy. Mm, absolutely. Because even even, uh, even even with more than one person in a department, they can't speak for everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it has to be a revolving revolving door of thoughts and ideas of how to make the the company more inclusive and healthier and, and all of that above. With the work that you do and putting these public health strategies into place uh, to for these four companies, and I don't want to talk about how what, what you do. I want you to explain kind of what you do for, for companies and what you do to uh, that you provide these public health strategies for. But with every company that you've worked for or worked with so far, what has been a few of the strategies that you've noticed really have helped improve the health of a company 
that you've been able to implement or you've seen in the past? Well, it's actually really good timing to ask that question. The U.S. Surgeon General released the Workplace Wellbeing Mental Health Framework, um, I think about maybe two months ago now. And in that, it provides some strategies that I think are actually core to the way that I operate my work. There's five essential elements of the Workplace Wellbeing Framework. And essentially, what I like about the way that they've designed this framework is it actually addresses human needs rather than just what the organization needs uh, to create a more productive workplace. It addresses the actual needs of the people. So the first one is around protection from harm. So it encourages employers to really consider how they can protect their employees by prioritizing mental health, by prioritizing psychological well-being, and I think most importantly, acknowledging and addressing like established cultural norms within the institution that creates inequities, but also has had um, has created moments of harm within the institution to any level, whether that's a, across gender or across race. If there's been policies or procedures that have created some level of harm, they first have to acknowledge that and then make the steps to address it and find out, listen to the people and find out like, how did people experience those things? What do they want to see in order for them to change and then make those steps to change them? I think that goes really well into the second, second element of the framework, which is around fostering connection and community in the workplace. And I think when people think workplace well-being, they automatically start thinking about benefits, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do I get my insurance? Like, is there paid leave? All of these things are really important. If people don't feel safe to use them or that they'll have job security if they take the leave or if they see a mental health provider that you're saying you're providing, if and then they feel like if they use the mental health provider that um, their job will be uh, they won't get job security or they they won't be able to advance in their career. If any of those things are jeopardized, then people won't actually utilize the resources that you're offering. I've seen many times in different organizations that they have amazing benefits, really mm-hmm. great resources, in-house providers, um, mental health apps out of the wazoo. <laughs> but when you actually right. use look at the utilization, it's always less than 3%. And when you ask people why, it's because they don't trust it. They say like, well, within my environment themselves, like I don't, my manager isn't someone I feel like I can trust. The institution always is, you know, making me feel like I'm easily replaceable. So there isn't a trust there within the environment. So they they aren't going to utilize those resources. They're going to go outside or they're going to lay it to the wayside. Or um, another thing with stress, right? People use a lot of different types of coping mechanisms and there's so much stigma around alcohol or drug use, right? We'd prefer people to use healthier coping mechanisms, but we want to make sure that as an employer, we provide resources that allows for harm reduction and also to connect people to resources that they might need like rehab and that if they go, they'll be able to come back and have a job and they're not afraid to utilize that resource. So you have to be fostering connection and community in the workplace so that people feel safe 
to to collaborate, safe to innovate, safe to be in teams, all of those different things. How does that feel? That sounds that sounds perfect. When I think community, uh, I think the first thing that comes to my mind with what you were just talking about was trust. If an employee doesn't trust the company, like you were saying, they're not going to maybe utilize those services. You know what? If if a company is like, hey, I want I want my employees to use these uh, these benefits. I want my employees to feel like they can with no judgment or no risk of their job. How can they start to rebuild that trust? Because a lot of cats is out here not trusting. Like they're not trusting their, their company because of, there's a there's a track record, right? Yeah, of course. So you know what can they do to rebuild that trust? Well, I think it starts with the acknowledgement, right? That trust has been broken and then starting to show little by little that they're taking actions on the things that people say. That's number one. And then I think it's about training managers and supervisors to one, be able to show up more empathetically in the workplace, be able to listen more actively to what employees are saying within small teams or big teams. And then being able to provide the resources that those people need in order to be able to take care of themselves and their families. Like if I say, oh, I need to go to a doctor's appointment, like I should feel comfortable being able to take some time off of work to be able to do that and feel like um, the work will be fine. My team will step up around me uh, so that I can take care of myself. Or if my child is sick, I don't have to worry about uh, having to come into the office because I, I need to then find health care or sorry, child care. Like mm-hmm. I we, we want um, managers and supervisors to be able to figure out how to better support teams so that they, they scaffold around each other. And I think part of that is learning how to recognize signs of mental health distress and also being more knowledgeable about the resources as a manager so that they can point people towards them and not just say like, oh, like go to HR. They'll be able to help you. Right. <laughs> like, there should be eliminating steps for people. So making sure your managers are informed and then also making sure that people are informed about the benefits that are offered to them and like that, that they're safe to use. I think people take that for granted. Companies take that for granted a lot is they offer, they talk about benefits twice a year, maybe, or like even twice in your career. When you first start the job, they'll give you a list of benefits. It'll like go over your head. You can't even remember some of the things that they tell you. But then um, right when open enrollment, if you're in a particular job that has like open enrollment periods, they'll tell you again about the resources and if there's been any changes. But again, it's a lot of information at once. It's not consistent and ongoing that they're explaining the resources to you in different ways. Um, I like to encourage companies to use different mediums to talk about resources and also provide anonymous ways for people to ask questions so that they can really engage with the different types of healthcare options that are being offered to them um, through the, through insurance, through um, relationships that companies have with organizations outside CBOs, things like that. Um, Right. Those are some of the main ways that I would say, uh, is a good start for people. And then I think hiring someone to actually come and review company culture. Culture is so important to the way that people experience well-being for themselves and also how they navigate uh, relationships within the institution. So having someone come in and 
being honest about what they see, how people interact and how cost centers versus profit centers um, are treated in the institution and then are able to make recommendations about uh, ways that um, they can adjust or evolve cultural norms within the institution so that uh, people can feel more comfortable, people can feel more like they belong and that they have value in the institution will make a really big difference. And then I think incentivizing managers and employees to model really good behaviors in the workplace and taking time off and putting in their email signatures that they they are not answering emails after a certain hour or whatever the case may be within a particular institution, having those people of power modeling behaviors and talking about utilizing resources will help to reduce stigma. So other people will use them too. Like the, the ones that are top, they, they're taking that time for their mental well-being, or they're taking that time for whatever it is in a way that's giving that employee the confidence to be able to utilize some of those resources. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Have you heard of burnout before? I've heard of burnout. Yeah, burnout has been there is been for since COVID. That's all you hear about is burnout, especially within the healthcare industry. Oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah, it's everywhere. I think it's become this word that when I work with companies, it's either a really scary word that they're afraid to talk about or it's something that uh, everyone wants to talk about but no one wants to do anything real to address. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And uh, for me, when the, the way I talk about burnout is that it's 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 less about this scary thing that happens that people talk about. Burnout isn't this this final effect, right? It isn't the be all end all. It isn't the scariest thing in the world. Actually, burnout is just about stressors that compound compound over time. It's added stress, stress at work, stress in a relationship. Stress in uh, transportation that happens every single day. And then being able to figure out plans, individual plans for employees, for, individ- for, for yourself to be able to navigate the stressors that happen every single day and then do something in your body to complete the stress response cycle so that you don't ever end up with burnout. But I think there's education that employees employers can do so that people better understand the stress response cycle and what they can do in the workplace even if they only have 5 minutes in their day so that they can um complete the stress response cycle and remove the stress from their body because stress is a physiological thing it's not mm-hmm. just you know, something that we talk about. It's something that happens in your body. Can you think of some time where you've experienced stress? Like what happens to you in your body? Honestly, when, when, when I am stressed and I, and I can feel it coming and, and the older I've gotten, I've, I've known, I just kind of know that it's, I just lose all ambition to do anything. Like I'm just, just not, just not feeling it today. You know, what, you know what I mean? I get very easily irritated. I just, everything that I know I should be doing, I don't want to do. The, the, the biggest thing is I just shut down completely. I don't want to yeah. do nothing. I don't want to work. I don't want to 
eat what I what I brought to work to eat. I'm going to the cafeteria. Everything is just shut. It's just shut down. Well, I'm actually glad that you said that because that's exactly what happens. Um, when stress happens in the body, it shuts down our organs and our systems from being able to function very well. So it mm. keeps us from being able to process our thoughts well. It keeps us from being able to eat well, right? Um, and so if you're you're from a background that has a lot of external stressors, then you might have systems within your body, neurological systems, uh, uh paranormal systems, all these different things that might actually just not be working regularly <laughs> like other people. <laughs> right. Um, and so what the employer can do is provide that education, provide outlets, provide paid leave time so people can take time to rest and recenter, which is so important. Rest is not lazy. Rest is not unproductive. It's actually very, very productive to take that time away so that you can reset and and actually come back to be your most productive self. But more importantly than productivity is that you can thrive within yourself and within the communities around you, which I think goes to that third workplace essential that we were talking about from the framework. Um, They talk a lot about providing an environment for work-life harmony. I do not believe in work-life balance. I don't think that exists. And I, my biggest pet peeve around workplace well-being is when an employer tells me to like, let's help the employees um, take, do better self-care. Like self-care can only be one component if the policies and procedures don't allow them space to be able to take care of themselves. Right. Um, so making sure that there's paid leave, that there's maternal, paternal or parental leave in place. Um, even if you're in a state that doesn't have it as, a as a federal benefit or a state benefit that you're thinking about providing that for your employees and then making sure that there's flexibility for people in their work so that they can have autonomy in the way that they do it. And that's really easy to say as someone who doesn't have a thousand employees (laughs) (laughs) or more. Right. Um, Or we're not on a factory line where it's really important for every single person to be doing um, X amount of things to be able to get products out in time. But there are ways to provide flexibility so that if someone does get sick, they don't feel like they need to come in and then infect the entire workforce. Right. Which is big in the healthcare industry. Which is really big in the healthcare industry. I think I'll skip to the last one, which is more about the pipeline of education, right? We talk a lot about the prison, the school to prison pipeline, and we talk about, um, how how easy it is for for different or for different communities to lose access to education because of what they see around them or who they see around them and the kind of education that the people that they see have access to and what they see as a possibility so something that employers can do to help break up some of that system is actually to provide education opportunities and benefits within the institution. And it might not be providing money to go to college, but it could be providing um, 
opportunities for people to learn what careers exist in the institution and different ways for them to get there and actually actually providing a pipeline for people to grow and advance within an institution and showing people that their career advancement is important and that they're valued by the institution and that they don't have to leave in order to make more money or right. to go somewhere else to, to, to learn something that they're interested in and that there are more pathways for, for career advancement. And I find that a lot of places that I work with, if people can see a really bright future where they can choose different lanes and paths to go in, they feel more whole. They don't feel stuck. And that's really important as well. And that's why the workplace is so amenable to intervention because there's just so many different places and avenues that affect well-being that an employer can um, can address. Right. I feel like if you're trying to improve the productivity of your workforce, giving letting them know like hey this one position isn't the only position here and we want to we want to work with you we want to give you the education so you can grow here that's a great way to start in, in my in my opinion and feeling like hey I can giving someone the confidence and pride into a company that hey I can I can grow here I can not only I can grow here but that growing and moving up provides more for my family which reduces stress which reduces you know other other types of maybe social determinants that they are going through food mm-hmm. insecurities things like that produce a, a, a better a better employee i'm gonna say better but it would produce uh someone that is not only working just their clock in clock out but they're working for much more they're working for the future you know what i mean yeah and they're working to be engaged Right? Yes. I think engagement is such a big part of the conversation now and employing well-being and just in HR circles. I mean, I'm not an HR professional, but I'm always hearing conversations about how do we help people feel more engaged? How do we want help them want to show up to work, especially now post-pandemic with the quotation marks right. that we're trying to, to get people back into full capacity at work um, for better or worse, I won't comment on that, but, (laughs) but how do we get them into the, into the spaces and then actually be building relationships with one another that will help them advance in their career? They tell you all the time, or at least people have told me in my career that it's more about the relationships, About it's about people that, you know, it's about, um, like, just the people around you that is important often in the work that you do to help you advance in your career. I was told that the more networking that I do, and I hate networking, but <laughs> uh, it'll cut 20 years off of your career if you can meet the right people. So creating an environment that helps people, especially people from low-income backgrounds, from immigrant backgrounds who might not have access to networks, the workplace is a network. It is an established network that we can help them navigate and and also help the communities come up with that that access that you're providing them. So I yeah, think that's, that's so a really real. cool thing. That's so real because there are, there are a lot of brilliant people out there that are just in disadvantaged communities, disadvantaged areas where they could probably do the job of many people better and they just don't have the opportunity or don't know the right people to get there. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. I was working with an an organization in the UK and they talk more about 
the importance of social mobility as a factor within institutions. And so they have an entire arm of their um, company that focuses on helping helping uh, people from low economic, socioeconomic backgrounds be able to come to the legal industry and to try out different professional careers within legal so that they can see the different opportunities that they might have. So it's a way of giving back to the community, doing social, you know, social work essentially with the institution, but then also like giving people an opportunity to see what their lives could look like if they joined an organization like this, giving them experience so that you don't have that weird cycle of like, you need experience to get this job. Right. (laughs) You also need the education to get this job, but now you have at least found um, an avenue that uh, you can come and be introduced to something and meet some people that might help you to get a job in this field. Otherwise. Oh, that's dope. That that's, that's great. Uh, so tell me more about equ- equitable well-being. You know, we, we talked a lot about what you do, but specifically your company, you know, uh, what what got you interested in in creating this business and being in in this field specifically? That's a hard-ish question for me. Um, I think what really got me interested in employee well-being was my own experience with burnout. Um, I've now experienced burnout twice in my Mm. life. (laughs) I'm not that old. (laughs) (laughs) And for me, it was starting to wonder what was it? Was it me? Like, was I the problem? Was it the institutions that were the problem? Um, And I came to the understanding that it was neither. It was that we, we as, we as a global world, working world, I feel like haven't come to an understanding that well-being is multifaceted and that it's the responsibility of the individual and the communities that they work in to step in and provide community care, to be able to notice when someone is struggling um, or to be able to ask better questions to ask things like, how are you really, instead of how are you and getting the answer fine. And then taking the time to actively listen to someone so that you can start to hear or see like, what are some of the things that um, they might be experiencing that is causing them stressors that might lead them to burnout, that might lead them to suicidal ideation, um, different things like that. And then be able to support them better. Like when I asked you about burnout and you said, um, you start to feel like uh, you start to feel like you don't want to do anything or, you know, you don't want to eat the same things. Like all these different things are, are pretty are regular for you when you're feeling stress, but like, have you expressed that to other people so that they can look for it too? Because when we were talking mm-hmm. about our bodies shutting down and not responding to our systems appropriately, um, a really great book I would like to recommend to people is Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagowski. And it talks all about the stress response cycle and how you end up not being able to see or really hear your own body the way that you would like to in those high stress moments. And people wait until they're at the peak of their stress to um, to start to think about, like, what do I need to do to take care of myself? When you have to be thinking about that way before, because once you get in that right. moment, you're not going to be able to often see it. And for me, when I was experiencing uh, headaches 
extreme headaches, migraines, um, not being able to eat the way I, I usually do, things like that, like really experiencing burnout, uh, that was happening for a while, but no one was pointing it out to me because I would tell them that those were issues that I usually have when I'm highly stressed. So they can say, Hey, Chris, um, maybe you want to take a break or, Hey, I just noticed you've had two headaches this week. You've mentioned you've had two headaches this week. Like, what are you doing to take care of yourself? And just like stepping up around us, uh, having people step up around us, both in the workplace and at home so that we can support ourselves better. Anyway, that was a long answer to say, that for me, equitable well-being is about helping people think about community care a little bit more mm. and that we, the institutions have a role to play by looking at the policies and procedures that they, that they put out there and make sure that it allows for people to take care of themselves and it allows for space for people to say like, hey, you've, I, we went to the bar last night and I noticed that like you got blackout drunk, like, is everything okay? And not have to worry that if you are a good Samaritan and say something about it, that that person might lose their job, but that you can help right. navigate the resource that they needed so that they can get the help that they need, whatever the case may be. Um, but just making sure that there's the policies and procedures in place that allow for that safety net to happen and occur. No, it's and good. Yeah. And then I think the second piece of that is providing the education and the language so that when people are thinking about their health outcomes and wanting to know more about what can I eat for my lifestyle? What do I need if I am in a job where I have to lift heavy things all day? That might mean I need a nutritionally different, um, you know, something nutritionally different yeah. than who is sitting all day. And what does it mean ergonomically for someone who is at a computer all day long and don't get to take as many physical breaks as someone else. And so just being able to provide that education in the workplace so that people can take it and utilize it for themselves in ways that make sense for them and their families. Um, And we're not just assuming what they need, but we're asking them and, and paying attention to what they need. And so that's where I come in. I I help people ask good questions and then I help them to, to, to redesign uh, so that they can be the whole workplace that they're hoping to be. That's where we come in as equitable well-being. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I learned so so much. Um, for those that are listening that want to learn more about you, want to learn more about your company and, and rock with you and connect, uh, where can they find you? Well, the easiest place to find us is on our website is integrateequitablewellbeing.org. Uh, that's where we, you know, meet people and talk to folks. Um, also on LinkedIn, uh, Christina Marai, that's where you can find me. Okay. And I, Try to post a lot of articles about equitable well-being and also about uh, just thinking about holistic well-being overall for employers and individuals. And um, so that's the two places you can find us right now. Perfect. And I'll make sure I have those in the description of this podcast episode. So make it easy for everybody to, to get to you. Um, Chris. Again, thank you so much for being on this podcast with me today. I, I just appreciate your time and your uh, and your knowledge around this around this topic. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I, it's so close to the new year. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the happy new year. And to everyone that's listening, uh, take care of yourselves, make dis- good decisions for your body uh, for the new year. Like, don't just wait till, you know, stress happens. Start to think about right. what you need to do from now so that you can have a stressless year. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, again, thank you so much. And everyone, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I'll highlight you next time. <laughs>